Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how are you doing on these hot summer days? The hot summer days. I have to say that if I was perfectly honest, my soul is very uneasy these days. There's just a lot going on in the world. Coronavirus, economy, and now racism, injustice, police brutality, like literally last weekend, I just, I couldn't sleep, man. There's just, and I don't know if other people are feeling this way, Chris. I don't know if you felt this way. I just think there's, there's, there's only so much the human soul can handle. And I felt like my human soul just hit a breaking point this past week as I've tried to just process all of this. And so you ask me how I'm feeling, Chris, that's where I'm at, man. You know, it's been a, it's been a tough week, but especially last weekend as some of the, the George Floyd uh, reality started coming to light and the protests and whatnot, it, my, uh, there's a heaviness. There's a heaviness today. And, you know, I've been processing all that all week, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast episode, right? Yeah, I know. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of interesting too, John, because we've, we've talked about talking about this subject or around this subject for a while you know we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years and, and we just haven't you know done it and it's it's almost a shame we're talking about this now in the wake of uh george floyd's death um uh but yeah my my soul has been disturbed um i usually don't write politically on my uh blog and i did on tuesday just because you know it, it, it's something that struck me my wife and i were, were talking about it a lot um because it's impacted us dearly and uh you know, um, I, I was relieved when I texted you and said, can we talk about this? And you're like, I was just about to text you too. Because I, I think, you know, as we, we've discussed on this podcast, we're talking all things ministry so that you can do church better. And if we don't talk about this, we, we can't help you do church better. Um, and uh, so with us, um, instead of two guys uh, like you and I talking about this, right? Um, two um, white guys talking about this, uh, I think it's important to bring in uh, a, a wise perspective. And um, I'm actually excited about today's guest, but I'm not gonna butcher his introduction because you're gonna do it much more eloquently than I am, John. So uh, why don't you tell everyone who our guest is today? Well, it's an absolute honor to have a, a friend in ministry who I've known for years, Dr. Ansel Augustine is here joining us. And uh, Ansel, you've been involved in uh, you know the black Catholic uh, conference in the back Catholic community for a long time here in the United States. And I've heard you speak and talk about these things of, of racism and injustice, all sorts of things in the past. And so, uh, you know, when, when Chris and I were brainstorming folks to talk to, to bring on the podcast, you were number one on my mind, Ansel. And I'm just so thankful that you said yes. So thanks for being here and tell us a little bit about your, yourself and your background, Ansel. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, it's an honor and pleasure to be on this podcast. Um, you know, those of y'all that don't know me, uh, Dr. Ansel Augustine from New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, that's in fact, the background is my church back home, St. Peter Claver. I live in D.C. now. But um, I think the work that we do and the things that I've done, um, mostly when people ask me what would be your dream job, despite the education, despite the experience, would be youth minister at my home parish before Hurricane Katrina hit. Um, I was poor, I was broke, but I was happy. You know, we were in our community, Treme. My neighborhood is the oldest black neighborhood in the, in the country. Um, That's where jazz came from and a lot of the uh, uh, cultural things that you see in New Orleans came up out of my neighborhood. 
Um, it's also where the civil rights movement started. Homer Plessy is from my neighborhood. He goes to St. Augustine, he went to St. Augustine Church, which is on the other side of the interstate from my church, like literally less than a mile. Um, also, um, St., uh, not St. yet, she's on her way, Venerable Mother Andrea DeLille, who I'm an associate of the Sisters of the Holy Family, founded that order at St. Augustine Church and is from our community. Um, and so just looking at the needs of our people has been the way I've operated. And John, when you met me, I think 2007, uh, when I went to my first NFCYM membership meeting, um, that was always on my mind because I was tasked at that time, 2007, 2000, two years after uh, Hurricane Katrina, I was tasked with helping to rebuild our Black Catholic uh, youth ministries because we were able to build ours back up at St. Peter Claver. And so that's when we met. And um, that's been my task in any type of ministry I've been in is keeping that voice at the table. And that voice is so essential. I want to start with a quote that, that Cardinal Supich said, because um, I thought it was really powerful. And he said this the, the other day, I do not share the fear they put on when they and their children leave their homes every day. Right. And I was reflecting on that. And, and, and Chris, you know, when, when we talked about having, you know, Ansel uh, come and talk with us about this particular topic of, uh, of race and, and justice is, is that that quote is, is me too, right? What Supich says, like, I don't share that fear. I, I can never comprehend the realities of, of others who are extremely different than me in some ways. And, and so when it comes to race, when it comes to skin color, unfortunately, we still do judge people based on skin color. I, don't, I can't do that. I recognize my privilege, not just because I'm a white looking guy, but I recognize because I'm, I'm male and I'm tall and I'm skinny, that all these things provide me privilege and that I will never know the fear and I think that our church needs to find ways to address this particular topic. And I could tell you that we don't know how to. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, I'm just speaking for myself. And so I'm hoping our conversation today is really going to be about what can we as church ministry leaders, whether you're black, brown, yellow, blue, green, gray, whether you're male, female, tall, short, whatever, what do we do? What can we do in the wake of this reality to, to create positive change in, in not just our church, but in the world? You know, um, it's funny what you said. First of all, uh, we share the male part, but I'm short, dark, and I got a few extra pounds to uh, love. So, I mean, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> but I think what we um, look at, John, as you said, uh, what Super says, he doesn't have to put on that anxiety or fear or, you know, the exact terminology of what you said every day. And I think that's the frustration that we're seeing playing out. We have had to do that every day. And um, we see it when we put on, turn on the news, turn, you know, look at music, uh, TV, or just different things of how we are portrayed and that frustration that comes with it. We see how we have been ignored. Um, justice and even just treatment and every day. And sometimes there are those of us that speak out on it on a regular, others that are just numb to it and just don't care and just going to live life how they live it. And then sometimes, especially as this portrays out in front of everybody, it catches, you know, and I've had these conversations during the Riding King trials, Trayvon Martin, um, you name it, it's happened. And people, it's in everybody's face for a while, and then it goes back to business as usual, this attention, and that's the frustrating thing. And so for us to create some 
type of um, change. Um, it has to be more than a, a temporary PR moments. You know, you know that this is what's this is what's important and hot right now because that's what's all over the news. So let's address it. And then when things go back to normal, we're still talking about the, um, especially in our church, uh, our black Catholic community, schools closing. You know, ours closed two, uh, a year ago, uh, May 2019, if I'm getting my dates correct, um, after being open 98 years, founded by St. Catherine Drexel herself in New Orleans, um, an Afrocentric school. You see my church, the way we, uh, you know, decorate and uh, portray our faith, you know. Uh, in an African and African-American Caribbean style of uh, worship. And so for us, are we going to do long-term change to help uplift and, um, you know, help these communities that have been long time uh, ignored and put on the margins and peripheries, as Pope Francis has said so many times. And, uh, you know, in these uprisings, we're hearing the hurt and pain. Are we really willing to listen and work with and walk with people? I was going to say, I appreciate um, you use the phrase PR moments, right? Because uh, one of the things that, you know, uh, being here in Baltimore, you know, it's it's kind of like, man, why didn't we learn after, you know, Freddie Gray? Why didn't we learn after Trayvon Martin? Why didn't we learn after Rodney King? You know, you go back and it's these little blips. And it, the shame is it, these blips always center around like police brutality when there's other um, signs or blips in racism, like even when COVID started happening, right? The disparity of like the, you know, black community, how highly affected they were because of the systematic poverty that's going on or the lack of uh, resources that white communities um, and privileged communities uh, come across. And then even before that, you know, like with the prison systems and, and so forth. And so it's not like it's just a police brutality or a PR moment that it's a deeper rooted thing. And that's the thing about sin, right? is sin is usually deeper rooted in things. And the only times, unfortunately, that we catch it is in these little blips. Mm. And so it is right important to have these conversations about these deeper systemic things. Um, you know, and you were starting to talk a little bit about this, but all right, so the PR is gonna die a little bit on this, but what are some things that we can do to continue these conversations to address the deeper seated systematic racism or even the, the racism that doesn't make it into the news. You know, that's that's the challenge. What is the magic bullet? You know, when we're at youth ministry gatherings, you know, what's the magic bullet to get parents involved? What's right. the magic bullet to do this, that, and the other? You know, there is a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know, it's not just a simple fix. You know, this is a country, unfortunately, and you know, not to sound like I don't love America, but, you know, it's a country that was built on stolen land, built with stolen labor, you know, and, um, you know, as some of the bishops say, racism is America's original sin. Um, and how do we address it? Because some of those that are in power um, and are able to make decisions don't understand the issues of white privilege, the issues of uh, systematic racism, the issues of life issues that go on in our community, in the Black Catholic community, or even our Hispanic brothers and sisters, you know, they're dealing their life issues, some of which are immigration issues, um, you know, for us in our community, mass incarceration, New Orleans, unfortunately, is number one in the world for mass incarceration, you know, um, and we're Louisiana, I believe right now we're 50th in the country in regards to education. So the school to prison pipeline is real. So our youth ministry issues are different. We used to be the murder capital of the world. You know, that was a right to life issue. And so <clears throat> trying to help, you know, my colleagues from other backgrounds in ministry, youth ministry, understand 
look, this is what we're dealing with. You know, can you, if you want us to partner with you to protest abortion clinics, which we're not, you know, I'm not saying we're pro-abortion or anything like that. You know, this is what we're dealing with. You know, I got to bury a young person today and I'm dealing with the family trying to get money to make this happen, that happen and more. You know, are you willing to partner with me in that? And it's dead silence. And so, um, or because it's not their reality, it's not important when we talk about these things on a national level. So for me, I think the main thing, you know, when I talk to my white counterparts that are open to listening, uh, when I talk to, you know, people from other communities that are shocked that this is happening, even though, you know, we know that it's been bubbling up for a while, is study and learn the issues. You know, not just, it's not a quick fix. You know, how can, you know, we can get people to stop rioting or looting. And a lot of the people that are out there protesting are not the rioters and looters. You know, we're hearing about outside forces coming in to ruin the process. Um, is to look at in your own communities where you see racism happening. Study, you know, the authors that are out there. You know, one of my good friends and mentors, Father Brian Massingill, wrote a book. Uh, uh, it's uh, Racism in the Catholic Church, or I can't forget the... I forget the exact title, but Father Brian Massingill, who's written various articles and various Catholic pieces, um, talks about these issues specifically. But for us in our own community, whether it's here in D.C., back home in New Orleans, California, Baltimore, wherever uh, you may be listening from, connect with the communities that are suffering. Listen if you're in the place of privilege and see how you can either check that privilege or use that privilege to make change. Um, because you'll be more... Uh, you probably be called to the table more, more so often than any of us with the people that are able to make change. Um, like I said, study those uh, people that are out there and just also, I, I quote Sister Thea Bowman, who's also on, one of the African-Americans. We don't have an African-American Catholic saint yet. We have six on the road right now, one of which is Sister Thea Bowman and one of my people from here, Mother Andrea DeLeo. She said this when she addressed the U.S. bishops in 1989 is to look at the black experience and the black Catholic experience as a gift to the church. And if we look at what's out there as gifts and not threats, because it's different than us, I think that's when we open our eyes to create effective change. I think it's interesting when you look at the history of the church, because you know, when you read about, you know, 68, for instance, and, and MLK and his assassination, and, and you look at how the church for a long time has stepped up to a lot of justice issues and it really was on the forefront of a lot of those justice issues. It's been an interesting reflection for me to look at that when look at community organizing and communities and the labor movement and, and, and race and justice, immigration, that there was a time that the church really seemed to be in the forefront of all these issues, right? You know, and, and now I feel like we're still there but we talk about it intellectually versus actually do something. And, and here's what I mean by that, right? You can see images in historical photos about priests and nuns and other people walking along, white, black, whatever, right? Walking alongside each other in these different movements and standing up for labor issues or race issues or civil rights or whatnot, right? It seems to me that we've moved away from that because I think we've moved away from that because we used to be the church of the other, right? We were the poor, 
right? Many Catholics were poor, regardless of skin color, right? That we were the immigrant, right? When you look at the, the Irish Catholic immigrants that came in, for instance. Or as, so, and now that the church has, is more established, Mm-hmm. We now, as, as, as a Catholic community, as a Catholic hierarchy, we have more power, we have more influence, we have more wealth than we did, say, 50 years ago. My reflection bringing that up is, is because I think we have shifted our way of doing church and standing up for what's right because of that power and privilege. Because quite honestly, this is one person's opinion, and I'm interested in your guys' take on it. We have more to lose now if we step up to talk about issues like this than we did 50 years ago. What's your take on that? Am I wrong? Am I I out in right field or or is that, does that resonate with your guys' experience? Um, Chris, you want to go first or you want me to go? Uh, I'll go first um, (laughs) because I want you to correct me. Because no, I'm serious. Like, you know, it, it, it's I've had to force myself and I'm not doing the, saying this for any pity, but I've had to force myself so far out of my comfort zone. And that's where my soul is so disturbed to realize like how, uh, how much I didn't realize that for such a long time. Right. Even though I've lived internationally and, and um, just so many different things. And I, John, I think, I think part of, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I would agree with you to an expect. I think we've become so programmatic and so systematic and let's fit church in a box that um, a box doesn't have room for enough people. Um, and then we become very selective of who fits in that box. And, and, uh, and I think like um, we've just been in denial about what's been going on in the world um, on so many facets, not just racism, but on so many facets, we've been, uh, you know, um, and it's not a call to change our theology, it's a call to change our strategy and how we act. And we compartmentalize so much to the point where, you know, I was a part, I'm a part of a church that for years, it was like you had a church within a church because you had the Hispanic community who was totally segregated from the rest of the Anglo community, right? And um, and it's it's still taking a lot of work to, 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 you know, make this one church, one local domestic, universal and local uh, domestic church. Um, so I think there, but there's a lot to lose, right? Because we're losing people left and right, you know, for reasons that are beyond our control. And so this feels like something in our control. And, and so I think there is a reluctance to be radical, to be like what Christ is calling us to be, because how many more people can we truly lose? But that's not the right attitude. So just my thoughts. Amen. Um, I think you both said uh, one thing that I, that resonates with me and this is we have to get uncomfortable. We have to get um, out of that notion of just being and doing things the same way and eventually things will go back to normal. But when things were going were normal, they weren't working anyways. Um, for me, I think two issues that you know, you know, you know, they say a prophet's not welcome in his own home. You know, everybody gets mad at me. But it's, you know, when I call out racism, you know, in the church, but also within our black Catholic community on a national level, sometimes I talk about the issue of classism, you know, because, you know, they think they've made it in certain stances. And so, you know, sometimes the needs of the brother and sister, you know, that's on the corner, you know, with the tattoos or selling drugs or doing whatever, just trying to survive. Well, they're less than you know, not seen in the image. So those are two issues I grapple with 
within my community and then outside of my community as well. And um, when we talk about the civil rights movement and the witness of Catholics being on the front line, two people that stand out to me, um, those of y'all that know my story, the reason I'm involved in ministry is because of two people, my dad, who I call, uh, who I refer to as my dad, Father Michael Jacques, our pastor at Peter Claver, uh, for 30 years, he died in 2013 of a heart attack, but he was there 30 years. He came from Maine, where he was born, Caribou, Maine, joined the Edmundites in Vermont, came down and trained in Selma at the Edmundites uh, uh, Southern Pastoral Center, and was trained by Father Willette, who was one of Dr. Martin Luther King's confidants. So when you talked about the images of priests, he was one of the white priests that you would see in some of those pictures. And then also um, Sister Antoinette Ebo, who is a black nun that was at the Selma March and was interviewed, this young black nun. And because of that has been a witness, one, because people didn't know there were black nuns. And this was you know, way back then. And uh, two, but because it has been a witness to the struggle and the needs for you know, justice, but also an advocate for the black Catholic community. And so for us, we have to be unafraid and be courageous and prophetic in our spirit as our faith tells us and as Pope Francis tells us to go to the peripheries, but also as we say in our community to pray with our feet, put our faith into action. And we're looking at the needs of our community and the trials that are going on right now. How are we gonna respond as people of faith? I've, ha I've had a couple conversations with priests, friends of mine who, who basically have said, you know, well, it looks like I need to preach on racism this week at mass. Right. And, and everyone's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, but one, one guy in particular said, you know, for the amount of times I've been asked to preach on uh, abortion, for instance, mm -hmm. which is a huge Catholic issue, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I've, I've never been asked to preach on racism, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that was just his own reflection as he was preparing his, his homily, you know, and, you know, around this particular topic, you know, so, so kind of bringing this down to earth here a little bit, obviously we would encourage, you know, and talk about priests need to, to talk about this from the pulpit. I think that's an important thing, you know, but there's a fear there. You know, when I talk to some of the guys, there's a fear there because it is, it's a polarizing topic and we are in a very polarizing age. And, and I've, this is not just racism. I've heard, I've heard guys uh, avoid talking about immigration and refugees and other things, which are very much part of our Catholic social teaching because it is polarizing. We don't want, you know, to make people mad at us, right? We don't want to get people uncomfortable. And I think that's a huge challenge. And I, I don't, uh, that's a very real struggle. I don't envy our, our, our priests who have to navigate that world. How do we preach in a way that people will listen and yet hold up, you know, Catholic teaching? Uh, I think that's a very difficult thing. So what advice would you give to uh, our priests who are listening about bringing up this topic Again, not just in homilies, but that's one place, but then in other areas of, of ministry at the parish. You know, first of all, I want to give a, a special uh, thank you to all the priests that are out there. Um, one, that are listening, um, because I know that the ministry is challenging, not just in times like this, but every day. The calling, the, the things that you do. I have two of my young people um, that have gone on to priesthood. Uh, one is actually just got ordained as a transitional deacon for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Um, but your ministry is so important. Your voice is so important as an advocate 
for our community, whether you're in the Black Catholic community or not, or the Hispanic Catholic community or not, or Latino Catholic community, or just anything like that, or even our Asian and Pacific Islanders or our Native American Catholics, who sometimes they're not even on anybody's radar. You know, but your voice as a leader, <coughs> excuse me, in our church is important. Um, and for me, I think, you know, when you talk about being uncomfortable about speaking on topics, that's because you have no context or no connection with that topic. And that goes when I would challenge you to, and not to put the black priest as an expert on the topic, because that's always uncomfortable and that's not fair, but just to even build relationships with those communities, build relationships, like I said, doing the research, whether it's Father Brian Massengill's book, whether it's the USCCB pastoral letter on racism, open wide our hearts, whether it's even the, the bishop's documents that have come before, brothers and sisters to us, um, what we have seen and heard, um, learning about the topic of racism, listening to Sister Thea Bowman's speech, just because it's when we are not, um, not to say experts, you're never expert on anything, only God is the expert on anything. Um, but when you make yourself aware of a topic, it's easier to talk about that and the anxiety tends to drift away. Now in regards to reactions of parishioners, that may not agree or may be um, even at times angry that we're even discussing this. The challenge for me, because I've been in, John, you've witnessed, sometimes I've been in situations where I've been attacked for even bringing up this topic because the people that are there don't look like me, don't think like me, but I know I'm called to be in that space to be a voice at the table for the people that can't be. I honor those that sacrifice for me by making a way for those coming after. And so keeping that in mind, in ministry, when we, whether you are ordained or not, whether you're in lay ministry or whether you call yourself a minister in whatever form, Jesus calls us to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And he did the right thing by going to the cross. It wasn't easy. And he did the right thing by rising and coming back again and influencing and inspiring his followers, us, to do the same. And we're not called to die necessarily in a physical way. God bless those protesters that are putting their lives on the line regularly. But we are called to die to our own selfishness and ego so that we can stand for our brothers and sisters and truly bring, as Martin Luther King said, um, the beloved community here on earth. You mentioned a couple couple different documents. Uh, the, the U.S. bishops have two documents on racism. And the time is timely because the uh, Open Wide Our Hearts was just released in 2018. And so... Yeah. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Just go to thechurchpodcast.org, look up this episode, and, and, and we'll have that there for you. But there's an opportunity there, if you have not delved into that document, uh, because it's so fairly new, to, to really embrace that, right? And you know, one of the things that, that, that you got me thinking, Ansel, is like, how great would it be, at least minimally, to take that document as a staff, right, at your parish, and just, just talk about it, address it, read it together, and and see what how it moves us. I mean, that could be really kind of a, a simple way to begin and kind of see what our bishops are saying. The other document you mentioned is Brothers and Sisters to Us. That was a, their 1979 document, yeah. uh, Pastoral Letter to Racism, and uh, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But uh, both of those, just be a, a read, just to have the conversation, right? You know, it's just, some, some of you who listen to this are, are, are very much in that community. Uh, uh, in terms of, of the Black Catholic community and, and those diverse, uh, uh, diverse cities. But there are some of you that listen to this, because I know some of you guys who 
your reality is not that, right? You know, and so, uh, you know, 95% white communities and things like that, which is fine. You know, that's why I think there's an opportunity here, even just to delve into to those documents here a little bit. It's a start. I mean, you know, it's, it's a beginning and where it leads you, where it leads me, you know, who knows, but that's, I think we're called to, to be uncomfortable as you mentioned, right. right? To, to do the right thing, not the easy thing. I really love that, you know? Okay. So, so kind of shifting gear then to, to our, our, our pastoral staff members or volunteers that are listening, you know, what, what, what should we consider doing within the context of church? And, and what I mean by context of church, I don't just mean what's happening in the church building, although most of us still aren't quite there yet. Right. You know, right not just within our programs, but even at home. And how are we encouraging this conversation at home? Because we also, a lot of the people who are listening to this are also parents, right? Yeah. You know, and so uh, give us some, some guidance. Amen. Uh, I guess what has been out there and I've seen other parents, you know, I'm not, a, I don't have children of my own, even though I've raised so many from the neighborhood. Um, but what I've seen other parents doing, especially some of my uh, white colleagues who have children, is when they've asked the question, I've provided them, you know, and it's different levels, okay? Sesame Street, even Sesame Street, I think it was either yesterday or day before, talked about Black Lives Matter from a perspective that young children could understand and the issues that are going on in the community. So I would point them to that. Um, older children, adolescents, um, there are resources out there that, um, there are, there are resources out there from some of our publishers. And one of the things that I point to is the African-American Catholic Youth Bible from St. Mary's Press that has um, that has images and discussions of black Catholic history and the black experience in US and nation and around the country and around the world. That, that's an educational tool for teenagers and young adults and even as a family to watch uh, documentaries out there that talk about institutional racism and how it affects us. One of two of which are the Netflix series, When They See Us, that came out about the Central Park Five, which really challenged me. And as someone who has uh, an older brother that's in Angola State Penitentiary in uh, Louisiana, uh, the documentary, The 13th, that came out, um, those are poignant as to some of the issues that go on in our community and why things are a challenge for us and some of our right to life issues. Um, and then also, and not to make, do tokenism or anything like that, I'm very much against that. And, you know, sometimes I have to caution myself on what I say yes to, you know, on a national level. But um, it's for us to partner with other churches, other schools, you know, I don't know, depending on the city, you know, Black Catholic uh, school, you know, once all this Corona stuff passes and we're able to interact once again, but in the mean, you know, partner with them and see how we can learn from one another openly and honestly, you know, not just them come over, have a gospel choir singing and that's it, you know, but have those open and honest, tough discussions. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, while we're um, quarantined, depending on the city, to use those opportunities to look at those films and those documents to learn ourselves. And so I have literally open one, two, three, four, five. I have like eight windows open on, on my uh, my internet browser here of resources that you gave me. So I'm going to link to all that stuff. Uh, I, I tried to keep up with all that. So, but we'll have links to the documents. We'll have links to Brian Massingale's book, uh, which is called Racial Justice in the Catholic Church. 
there Sesame Street, the African American Catholic Youth Bible, those two series on Netflix you talked about when they see us in 13. So we'll capture all that. So, yeah. you know, come to the churchpodcast.org and you'll, you'll have a compendium of, of some of these resources that we could take a look at it and, and embrace uh, as part of, of our journey together around this topic. You know, and, and I, I just want to like thank you so much because um, one of the things that circled my mind being in Baltimore, right, is um, so many times our churches around here take students out to Emmitsburg to you know the Saint Elizabeth uh, and Seton Shrine, right, or to the shrine out there and uh, to uh, Saint Elizabeth Van Seton. Yet, right in our own city, we have a, a juggernaut of a of a Catholic disciple, although she's not a saint yet, Mother Mary Lang, right, mm-hmm. and. Um, and how much she did for the education system and for, for uh, young people in, in our city. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, the, the one advice or, or thing that you mentioned that is really stuck is the education that we need to do, right? That the learning that how, of how rich, um, not just our Catholic history is, but our black Catholic history, um, especially in this country, um, and how there are so many men and women, um, whether on the, they're on the path to sainthood or not, who have made such an impact um, in many different facets. Uh, facets. And, and so I want to thank you for that. Um, you know, uh, any, like, as we kind of start to wrap things up here, any, like, um, you know, last words or things that you want to share uh, with our listeners or um, things to just continue us to discuss this and, 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 and lead to healing? Um, I guess the thing is, just as anybody um, in any form of cuts, scrapes, bruises, when we talk about healing, it takes time. There is no quick fix in this, you know, and, you know, the deeper the wound, the deeper the injury, the the longer or more uh, invasive the surgery, of course. And this is a wound that's been in our country for since its founding. And we still haven't addressed it. We still haven't done the proper procedures to address this so it can be in recovery. And I think there's a lot of work and you see this in the streets, the frustration, the anger, that pops up, you know, because we go back to business as usual. And for us as a country, and more importantly, as a people of faith, we have to look at ourselves, each and every one of us, about how we need to make change, how we need to address those conversations in our families that may happen, those thoughts we may have in our own hearts about certain people, backgrounds, you know, assumptions we have, um, how we're called to look at those that are different from us. Um, Because as the Bible says, we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore we are important. That's what those six African-Americans on the road to canonization knew. And I say this all the time, and this is our time to live this out as it is every day, but they didn't let society define them. They define society. And um, I'm getting a little emotional. As we look at what's happening in our communities, how can we be brothers and sisters to one another so that we're not hurting alone, but we're healing together? Well, thank you so much. Uh, again, thank you for just taking the time to be with us. Um, John, any final thoughts? We're scratching the surface, right, Chris? I mean, just this is, was our way of opportunity to start getting some dialogue going and, and, and hopefully, you know, this is getting our brains thinking around you know, what role we play in this. Uh, The other, the other, we're surrounded by others, right? People who are different than us, people who, whether it's 
you know, different skin color, different sexuality, a different religion, part of a different part of the world, a different culture. We have to remember that with one small exception, the entirety of the world is filled with others. Uh, okay. And the more that we embrace the other, whatever the other is, the more that we embrace it, the, the more we come to know because it's, it's harder to hate up close. Mm-hmm. We need to have the others in our lives be up close and personal. And it changes the way we do the world because they're no longer an ambiguous somebody but they are someone personal in our lives. Well said, well said. Um, Ansel, if uh, people want to reach out to you or learn more about you, uh, where's a good place that they can go? Oh, well, uh, I don't really have anything out there like that. Uh, uh, you know, just, I guess, talk to y'all, you know, y'all are my friends. I mean, I'm out here just doing the work. It's not anything, you know, I have a couple of YouTube videos of some of the conferences I've been at or my step team performing at NCYC or LA Congress, but it's not like I'm out there like that. I'm, I'm just in the trenches doing the work. Um, but I would like to close with one thought before we leave. And it's, um, you, y'all mentioned it and it triggered this memory of uh, when uh, the lawyer and the creator of the, um, we call it the lynching museum or lynching memorial in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, who created the documentary 13th I referred to when he spoke in front of the USCCB when they were putting this racism pastoral together and he talked about the sins of racism and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things to um, affect change is proximity. Like you said, you know, you don't know what you don't know unless they're in your presence. And so for us to figure out as people of faith, how can we be in proximity with those that are the other so that we can learn to love them uh, in the way they want to be loved and deserve to be loved. So, uh, you know, that stood out to me as another resource, John, another pain window number nine. You know, if you can find that uh, talk of Brian Stevenson to the USCCB and Sister Thea Bowman's as well in 89. So that's 10. So uh, there you go. <laughs> I love giving my brother work. <laughs> hey, hey, we need it. We need it. Uh, well, if you need to get in touch with uh, uh, Ansel, uh, reach out to John or I and you can do yeah. that. Uh, watch this transition. You can do that by going to the churchpodcast.org. If you have questions, you can always shoot us questions at questions at the churchpodcast.org. Um, but say you want to just get in touch with John. John, what's the best way people can reach you? Yeah, t- uh, take a look at parishsuccessgroup.com. All of our information is there and we'd love to connect with you uh, there. So check us out. And if you need to reach me, uh, Marathon Youth Ministry, all things Marathon Youth Ministry or MarathonYouthMinistry.com. But again, go to the churchpodcast.org to see this litany of resources that uh, Ansel has shared. And, and it's just scratching the surface, as John said. Um, and of course, share this episode, share um, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a review, especially a five-star review. We appreciate that. Um, but again, uh, on behalf of uh, John uh, Ansel, we are so thankful that you could join us. And um We'd be honored if you close us in prayer. All right. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the day and all the gifts you've given us. We ask you to watch over us and keep us, Lord. Lord, in a special way, Lord, we lift up this conversation that we've had and the conversations that need to continue, Lord, especially during this time of unrest, this time of pain, this time of just distress that we see in our world and confusion, Lord. We ask you to continue to send your spirit upon this space and in this place.
You know, Lord, as uh, Dr. King said, a riot is the voice of the unheard, the language of the unheard. And right now we're hearing the language that has already been spoken in various ways and ignored at times. But now we ask you to guide us as we try to acknowledge the pain that has sometimes been dismissed, sometimes been ignored. But Lord, we know just as you were cast out in your own society from where you came from, because of where you came from, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We know here that these are all, as we all are, children of you. As those of us with good hearts and good intentions try to do the right thing in our communities, even if there are missteps, help us to come with the spirit of grace, not as saviors, but a spirit of grace as we bring the savior to meet the savior that's already in the community with our savior so that we work together to bring your love and grace in this space. And Lord, we ask you to bless those that may not have anyone to pray for them, those that feel hopeless right now, those that are on this podcast listening right now that are in ministry, whether ordained, unordained, lay, um, religious, help them to understand that they are not alone in this fight. You are walking with them. As Philippians 4.13 says, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. And we know that you strengthen us and you guide us for we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So guide us and keep us. And we offer this prayer with the intercession of our Holy Mother as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, family.